All right, guys, we got a lot to do. Genesis chapter 6. So we're going to camp out today as we continue in our story, our sermon series through the stories of the Old Testament and the promises of God we see in them. Uh, I want to remind you of a couple uh, months ago, back in January. Oh, man, that's been like eight months ago. Wow. Eight months ago in January in Hawaii, uh, there was this guy, and he was on break from work, and he, was, uh, he went out to lunch, right? And on his way back to work, he thought he'd call his wife. And so he calls up his wife to check on her and the kids at home and see how everybody's doing and everything's going well. And, uh, and he hangs up the phone. And about the time that he hangs up the phone, he gets an alert on his phone. You know those kinds of alerts that we all get when there's a flash flood warning or an amber alert or thunderstorm warning or something like that. And it just, it's not a text message, an alert. And your phone goes off. He gets one of those kinds of alerts. And the alert says this. It says, alert, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Imagine what is going through this man's mind in that moment. Doesn't know how many seconds or minutes that he has to live. Does he seek shelter? Does he go find a place to try to hunker down? Does he try to turn around and, and speed home? Does he call his wife and children and let them know to hear their voice one last time? And as we know that it was a false alarm, that someone accidentally sent the message and there was no missile and everything was okay. But what if I were to tell you that the world was about to come to an end? What if I were to come to you with proof and tell you that the world is about to come to an end? What would you do? Would you pull a page out of Tim McGraw's playbook and go skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing and go 2.7 seconds on a bull name? Okay, make sure I'm not the only country boy in the room. Would you feel the need to go live it up because you've missed out on so much and you've wasted your life? Or would you feel the need to go and hold your loved ones close for the moments you have left and kiss them and hold them? Or maybe you're here and you don't believe and in that moment you would throw up a prayer of hope and think maybe it's not too late for God to still accept me. What would you do in that moment? You see, the people in our story this morning were faced with such a moment. As they saw Noah, this guy, crazy guy, building a boat. These people have never seen rain before. They don't even understand the concept of what rain is. And this dude is not just building like a little John boat. This dude's building this giant Titanic of a boat. And you know they've got to be mocking him and laughing at him. They're like, what are you doing? Until the moment they felt the first raindrop. Uh-oh. And you know they felt that same panic, and turned and ran to where they knew the boat was, only to find that the door had been shut and sealed, and it was too late. There was no entrance into the rescue boat for them. There was no hope. The New Testament in Matthew 24 tells us that that same kind of day is coming for us, and it will come when we least expect. It says, for as were the days of Noah... So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see, the world really is going to come to an end. There really is coming a judgment for all of us. There is a greater storm coming. And the question is, where will you be and are you ready? Where will you be on that day, and are you ready to face it? And will you 
have the rescue to make it through. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, the words of our God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by Moses, say this. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. See, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it in length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark inside in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing according, uh, on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into the ark to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God had commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. The first thing I want us to see this morning is the remorse of God. Guys, this is the first time I've ever alliterated a sermon, so if you're taking notes, four R's. All right? Remorse. The remorse of God. Last week we saw that God created the world, and when God created the world, what did he say? He's made it, and he's looking at it, and what does he say? It's good. And then he says that after each and every day. And on day six, he makes the crown jewel of his creation, which is you and me, Adam and Eve. He makes man, and he says it was very good. He's made this world, and he's made it good. He designed the world to flourish and to thrive like the harmony of a beautiful symphony. The best word to use to describe it is what God said, is that it was indeed good. But now some time has passed. Sin has entered the world, and with sin, a curse. I like to picture the curse this way. I imagine uh, Snow White in the Enchanted Forest. And, you know, there's birds on her shoulder and squirrels running up her, and, and the flowers are blooming. blooming and it's this beautiful picture of, of just peace and tranquility. And then I imagine death and decay sweeping across the forest as all of the plants begin to shrivel and die and all the animals scatter until Snow White is left there in what looks like a burned down forest. That's happened to the world. This curse has entered to the world. There is sickness and death and decay, the likes of which were not intended for the world. The text tells us that there is violence. That God looks and sees this wickedness and violence in the world. It's interesting. We look at our world today and we live in what is 
the, mo- the least violent time in the history of the world. And we look around and we see a lot of violence. Right? On the news all the time, there's always violence. And so imagine how violent it was in Noah's day. God looks and he just sees violence and chaos. The world that once honored God and loved him now rebels against him, wants nothing to do with him. Verse 5 describes it this way, and it's pretty stark the way he describes a, a man's heart. He says, every intention, every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. That's bad. The Brent paraphrase is, that's bad. So God looks down at his once beautiful, good world, and it is in shambles, which leads him to this response in verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The world is so evil at this point that God just wants to throw it all away. He regrets ever making it. He regrets making people. He says this was a waste of time, and he's over it. He regrets that he made any of it, right? Because the world is so unrecognizable to the thing that he actually made, he's ready to give up on it. But it's not that that is most interesting to me. Notice the next phrase that he says. He regrets that he makes it, but then it says, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. That's interesting, because why do people grieve? They grieve because they lose something they love. You and I, most of us in this room, have felt grief. We have felt the deep pangs in our gut at the loss of a loved one. We know the the churning and the crying and the heartache. Because you actually, it's called heartache because you actually feel it, right? Inside of you. And it hurts. We've all lost them. I remember losing my grandfather. I can remember the moment I got the call. I can remember the moment I stood at the funeral in the line. And I remember just weeping uncontrollably because I felt hopeless because he's never coming back. And the text is telling us that this type of grief is exactly what God felt. When God looked at his creation and those people that he created and the state that they were in, he grieved. He hurt. Now, now it's interesting. It's interesting that God could feel this because we got to back up for a moment, zoom out for a moment. When, before God created the world, what was going on, right? Because God wasn't created, right? He's never, ha- he doesn't have a beginning. Remember geometry class? There's not a dot in an arrow, it's two arrows. Eternity past, eternity future. God has always existed. There's never been a moment in the history of everything that God has not existed. And so he existed for a long time before he created the world. And do you think that he was lonely? No. He existed in Father, Son, and Spirit, in perfect, harmonious relationship with himself. He did not need us. God did not create the world because he was lonely. And so when you understand that, it's fascinating that God grieved, that he grieved over us because he doesn't need us. And so the only way God can grieve over us is if he so knit his heart to ours, that he came so He came down so far and so vulnerable and decided and chose to love us and knit his heart to ours is the only way that when we rebelled against him, it felt like we squashed his heart. God chose to come, to be vulnerable, and to knit his heart to ours. And when we rebelled, it grieved him. 
You see, God is not this deity in the sky who is unconcerned with the happenings of mere mortals. God looks down at those he made, at his children, and he sees what they do. He sees what we do. And it breaks his heart. He sees us killing each other and rebelling against him and violence and hurting each other. He sees racism. He sees poverty. And it breaks his heart because the world he made was not supposed to contain these things. And so God grieves. There is remorse over his creation which leads him to renewal. He decides, okay, I must renew this place. We gotta start over. Even though God loves his world, he must come in judgment. He must come to set things right. And the only way to set things right is to come in judgment and to renew the world. And what basically God is gonna do, he says, I'm gonna give the world a bath. I'm gonna give the world a bath the likes of which no one has ever seen. He's going to remove every spot, every blemish, every stain of sin and the curse of sin in the world. He's gonna remove it all through this flood, a bath to clean everything. Another way to say it is that God is sending water to baptize the world. God is going to baptize the world because in baptism there is death and resurrection. There is death, yes, but there is then new life. And so as God covers the whole world with water, do you know what he's doing? He is hearkening us back to the second day of creation in Genesis chapter 1. Because in day 2 of creation, there was the earth and the heavens and water covered everything and there was no land. And God is saying, we got to start over. We got to go back to day 2 and we got to re-kick this thing off. It's like you know when you have a problem with your router or your internet or your cable or your computer and you call tech support? What's the first thing they tell you to do? Reboot it, restart it. And it infuriates you, right? Because you're like, I've done that 10 times already. <laughs> Duh. I, so, so a couple weeks ago, we had some problems with the computers here. And, and I was talking to probably, it was the sweetest lady on our staff. And she was telling me about all the problems. And I, I, pulled, I pulled a tech support on her and I said, Sounds like if you just restart it, it'll fix it. And she just grits her teeth. I know that. It's like, oh, you're right. I know. I should have I known you knew that. Right? And so, but this is exactly what God is doing. He is restarting the world. He is taking it back. We even see this in chapter 9, verse 7. When Noah and his family get off the boat, what does God say to them? The same thing he said to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. He said, let's give this thing another try. Let's start over again. He's going to renew the world. See, God is committing to setting the world right because a few chapters earlier, after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, do you remember what he did? This may be the most important verse in the whole Bible, maybe. In Genesis 3.15, he says, I promise you, Eve and Adam, that you're going to have a son who will 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 one day come and crush the head of the serpent. That serpent that deceived you in the garden, the devil, that ancient enemy who tricked you to rebelling against me and throwing the world into chaos, you're gonna have a son who's gonna have a son who's gonna have a son who will one day come and crush the head of the serpent and end evil forever and vanquish it. That day's coming. And so God has made this promise to renew the world by vanquishing evil. God is committed to setting the world right. 
But to do that, we see, not only is there remorse and renewal, but he must send a rescue. There can be no renewal of the world without two things. One, that there are people in that world. Remember the people made in God's image to reflect his glory to the world, who are the crown jewel of creation. If God destroys the world and the new world, the renewal of the world doesn't have people, it's not renewal. So it's got to have people. And two, it's got to have a specific person. It's got to have the child promised to Adam and Eve who was going to crush the head of the serpent. It's got to have that child. Adam and Eve had Seth. Genesis chapter 5, the one we often skip because it says, and Adam and Eve begot Seth, who begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so, for a whole chapter. Right? We, we skip it because we don't think it's important. But it's so important because it is in that line that God is going to send a child to fix the world. And so as God prepares to baptize the world and remove everything and everyone who has been marred and broken by sin, as he comes to judge the world, he remembers his love for his people and he remembers his promise to Adam and Eve to send a child to end suffering and death and evil forever. And so verse eight says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God rescues Noah from the coming storm. He delivers him from his own wrath by sending him plans to build a boat that will save him from God's judgment. So we gotta ask this question and answer this question. Why Noah? There's a lot of people in the world. Why does Noah get saved and everyone else doesn't? Why Noah? It says Noah found favor. Noah found favor. Does that mean that Noah is better than everyone else? Does it mean he's more holy than everyone else? Oh, it must be that Noah goes to church. It must mean that Noah tithes. It must mean that Noah knows how to dress right. No. Notice he says he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's the Hebrew word chin, which means grace. It literally means to bend or stoop in kindness to another as a superior to an inferior. So what it literally means is that God came to Noah and stooped down to show him grace. Unmerited favor, undeserved favor. You see, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't because Noah deserved it, because the rescue of God always comes by grace and grace alone. We can never earn or deserve God's grace. We can never earn or deserve God's rescue. It can only come by grace. It doesn't come to us because we're good people. It doesn't come to us because we dress right, know how to say the right things, know how to come to church, we know the lingo. It doesn't happen because of any of that stuff. It comes to us because by grace and grace alone, because we don't deserve any of it, because God chooses to lavish it on us. It's a gift we didn't deserve. As God's superior one stooping down in lowly kindness to us inferior mortals. We enjoy the favor of God even though we don't deserve it. So by God's grace, Noah is a righteous man and walks with God. But God does more rescuing than just Noah. He also saves his sons and his sons' wives. He saves Noah's family. You see, he begins to show us this principle that the one could stand for the many. Because we don't know anything about Noah's family. We don't know if they're good people or not, and it doesn't matter. What happens is that Noah is righteous before God, and so everyone who is a part of Noah's family gets seen as righteous before God. And they get to go on the ark as well. The one can stand for the many. We see this, and in, in when Adam sins, we sinned. Adam stood for us. He represented us in the garden. And when he messed up, we messed up with him. When an Israelite king 
was righteous. God saw all of Israel as righteous. But when Israel had a king who was wicked, God saw all of Israel as wicked. See, the one stands for the many. The one stands for the many. But we haven't fully answered the question of why Noah. You see, Noah was the 10th generation removed, if I can count right, was the 10th generation removed from Adam. It was his ninth great-grandson. And Noah comes to the line of Seth. That chapter in Genesis 5 that we often skip starts with Adam, goes to Seth, ends in Noah. You see, Noah is the seed of the woman. He is the promised child to come. And if Noah dies, all hope for the world dies with him. If Noah dies, there is no promised child to come defeat the serpent. If Noah dies, there is no Jesus. So by saving Noah, God protects the child to come. By saving Noah, God saves us. By saving Noah, God saves the whole world. You might even say, for God so loved the world that he rescued Noah so that one day Noah's son, 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 son would come to save us all. You see, we believe in a God of rescue, a God who rescues by grace and grace alone, a God who sends an ark to an unworthy servant by his grace, so in that ark he might escape the waters of judgment. So there's the remorse, there's renewal, there's rescue, and we see God remembers. You see, after God sends the flood and the waters subside, God makes a promise, a covenant with Noah and his family. And with the whole earth. And he says, I will never again flood the world and destroy all flesh. And what's the sign that he gives as a promise? The rainbow. The rainbow. In chapter 9, verse 16, he says, And when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. When the bow is in the clouds. That word for bow is the same word for bow and arrow. God is saying, I have laid my weapons down. And I won't come to destroy you like this again. He's made a promise. But notice also, in Revelation chapter four, verse three, in the the throne room of God, in heaven right now and in the future, it says, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow. Around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. You see, now in the future, in the throne room of God, there is a reminder to God to keep his promise, to not send a flood, to destroy all flesh. And God always keeps his promises. This is a great story. It's a story we've heard for a long time. Why does this matter to us? Why does this matter? In the story, we see, we see God having remorse over his creation and what's become of them. But a few thousand years later, what we see, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. Jesus says in Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent to it. How often I would have gathered you children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Not only has the world rejected God, but his own people reject him. There is still violence in the world. The world is still broken. There is still a curse in this world. And so, guys, God is going to bring us a greater renewal. You see, the renewal we see in the flood with Noah is but a picture and a shadow of the real thing to come. You see, there's a problem with this renewal in the flood. There is a problem 
Because Noah brings something on the ark that shouldn't have been there. And it wasn't his family, and it wasn't the animals, it was his sin. And so the ark not only preserved their life, but it preserved the curse in the world as well. And when the ark landed safely, so did the curse of sin. And it remains in the world to this day. You see, Jesus came to this world not as a soul, but as a physical person. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, he wasn't raised spiritually. He doesn't just live on in our memory. He was literally physically raised from the dead. Do you know why that is? Because God is not just concerned with saving your soul. He's concerned with saving all of you, with renewing all of you. So much so that one day, when you are in Christ, he's going to come up to your dead bodies, dead corpses in the ground, and he will say, live, and you will get up. God is not wanting to just rapture your soul up into heaven. He wants to save your whole mind, spirit, soul, and body. And he's going to redeem and renew the whole world. Jesus, at his resurrection, has started a new creation project where the renewal of the whole world is coming. You see, if you are in Christ, then your story doesn't end in death. And if you are in Christ... One day you will actually get to say, and we all lived happily ever after. We live the greatest fairy tale that ever was, and we will get those words. Sometimes now the days seem dark, but a happily ever after is coming because God is renewing the world. And the fairy tale of renewal comes through rescue. You see, the ark that saved Noah from the rain could not save Noah from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God. Do you know that? You know that the, the ark only saved Noah temporarily? Do you know what really saved Noah? It wasn't the boat. It was that thing to which the boat points. Noah was in Christ. You see, Romans chapter 3 tells us that God looked over former sins, that he took all of the sins of Noah and every sins of everyone in the Old Testament before Jesus came, and he held them up, and he waited patiently enduring his wrath, his judgment, waiting, waiting, and when Jesus came, he dumped them out on the cross. No one was ever saved in the Old Testament by anything that they did, by works, by sacrificing a lamb or anything. They were saved because Jesus saved them. Noah was in Christ. God stayed judgment and waited. And we see also that Noah, just like he was the one who represented his family, so Jesus comes with a greater rescue than Noah could. Jesus lived perfectly righteous where Noah was but a shadow. Jesus' righteousness, when you're in him, this is what it means. That God doesn't judge you based on your righteousness, on, on your credit, but on the credit of Jesus. And so on your worst day, God looks at you and he sees his son. And the perfect, blameless righteousness that he has is yours. It's yours. The one can stand for the many. And so we must seek refuge in Christ. There is this greater storm coming. Ju a greater renewal is coming. A greater judgment is coming. And the only way for you to make it through that storm is not to be good enough, not to tithe, not to dress right, not to come to church, but to find refuge in the one thing the ark points to, which is Jesus. And in him alone will you find refuge from that storm that is coming. Finally, we see that there is a greater remembering. You see, Guys, I know you're like me, and you mess up, and you screw up, and you do things you know you shouldn't do and that you're against. 
And when you do those things, you feel shame and you feel guilt and it begins to weigh you down and you don't know how to get out of it. And sometimes we try to make up for it. Sometimes we try to right our own ship by doing things, Christian things that'll atone for our sin. But Jesus gives us signs like the rainbow to remember his promises. One, he gives us baptism. That in those moments that you doubt, you look back to your baptism and to what it signifies. That you were once dead, but God raised you to new life. You don't raise yourself, he raised you to new life. That you were once filthy and dirty in sin, but he has washed you clean. He's also given us the Lord's Supper as a sign. A sign that as we take it, we remember, and we take into our body, we smell, we touch the body of Christ broken for us and his blood poured out for us as a sign to remember when we doubt if God could love us, we remember he was broken for us. He was broken for the, for the very sin that makes us feel the guilt and shame. But guys, finally, just like the, in the throne room of God there is a rainbow, there's something else to remind God of his promises. Romans 8, 1 is true, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So on your worst day, how do you know that God is for you and not against you? Because look to the one who sits at his right hand. And God in his throne room in heaven, there is someone who sits at his right hand, and it is the lamb who was slain. And he still has the scars in his hands. And any time we sin and the devil looks at us and he says, guilty, Jesus says, forgiven. The devil comes to accuse us and say, they're worthy of hell, they deserve condemnation. And Jesus says, their price has been paid. Look at my hands. Father, remember, my blood speaks a better word than all the condemnation of people, of the devil, and of the curse of sin. There is a greater rescue coming in Jesus, and God remembers his promise. You see, God kept his promise to Adam and Eve. Because their son had a son who had Noah, and Noah was saved on an ark, and he had a son who had a son who was Abraham, and he had a son who had a son who was David, and he had a son who had a son who ended up in Jesus, who came as the promised child to crush the head of evil, of the serpent, of the devil forever. And he is renewing the world, making all things new, making a new creation, not to escape you off into heaven, but to fix this broken place. God is not forsaking the world that he once said was good. He's making it good again. And we can be a part of that story. You can be a part of that story. You can have happily ever after. You can find safe refuge from the storm if you would hide yourself in the ark of Christ. Hide yourself in the ark of Christ because you can't swim long enough to face the judgment of God. He is coming to set all things new. And there's only one safe place to be, and it's in Christ. Your good works aren't good enough. They're filthy rags. Your church going's not good enough. Your money's not good here. Jesus is the only thing that will save you. So what if I told you that the world was about to end that God was gonna come in judgment, what would you do? Would you wanna go live it up? Would you hold your loved ones close? Would you pray one final time? Or for the first time? Or can you stand in humble confidence because God is rescuing God who though he comes in judgment is not coming to end the world but set it right to renew it. And no matter what, no matter even when you mess up, you're safe. 
because sitting beside the Father is a lamb who was slain, who always remembers you and says to the Father, he's mine, she's mine. There may be some of you in this room and you need rescue today. You need it today. Brother, sister, don't wait because if you wait till you're better, you'll never come at all. You can't wait till you're better. You ain't good enough now, you won't be good enough tomorrow. It comes to you by grace and grace alone. God is extending to you a gift. Take it. There's some of you in this room right now and you feel the weight of guilt and shame and you feel like God couldn't love you. You've, 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 you've been saved, you've been baptized, but you just feel like God couldn't love you because of all the things in your past, your family's falling apart, whatever the case may be. Remember your baptism. Remember what it signifies. Remember the supper. Remember the one who sits beside the Father who shows him the scars in his hands and he says the price has been paid for them. No matter what you've done, there is no sin too big that the price of his blood does not pay. And then finally, there may be some of you in this room and your body hurts. You're sick. You, can't, you don't walk like you used to could. You see brokenness in your family and in your grandchildren and your children. You see poverty and ruin all around you. There is a day coming. It's not that God is going to forsake this world and say, let it go to a hell in a handbasket. He's going to come set it all right. He's going to say the spell backward. And he is going to undo all the brokenness and make all sad things untrue. And we will finally have a happily ever after. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you are the rescuing God who comes to say all things new. God, if there's anyone in this room this morning who needs your rescue, in a minute, I'm gonna be down at the front. Some other people are gonna be at the front. Would you come and let us talk with you and pray with you and tell you how you can find this rescue? You don't do anything. You just come receive it. You wanna talk after? We can talk after. But come and find the rescue. Hide yourself in the ark of Christ who alone can save you. If you're in this room and you feel the weight of guilt and shame and you just feel like God could never love you, remember the signs. Remember the lamb who was slain, who sits at the right hand of God interceding for you, whose blood speaks a better word. And if you're in this room and you hurt and you see death and decay around you, destruction and curse around you, and you feel like it's hopeless, remember that one day God is going to give us all a happily ever after and a new world to come. He's not going to end the world. He's going to set it right. Would you come this morning and pray with me, with one of these people at the front? Would you come pray up here at these steps? Would you stand in your seat and sing a little louder for the goodness of God in your life? Whatever the Spirit would call you to do, don't fight him. Respond. Your life will never be the same. Jesus, give us the courage to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. All these people said.